Dolce Gabbana made me be a better Italian. Mm, that's so beautiful. They immerse you there. And that is a gift itself. All of these shows have, have an element of emotion to them that I don't necessarily experience at other shows. I mean, even last night, it was so beautiful. It was more of a minimal fashion show last night. The, the clothes were, were, were less kind of over the top. But the simplicity and the setting and, and you know, this historical, magical village, it, it's always, I, I feel like I leave uh, a Dolce & Gabbana Alta experience smarter. Welcome to If Jewels Could Talk. I'm Carol Walton, the voice of jewellery, an author, broadcaster, and the woman who initiated the role of jewellery editor at magazines like Tatler and British Vogue. This is a podcast for everyone, for people who do like jewellery, for people who don't realise they like jewellery, and anyone intrigued by fascinating facts, new ideas, and forgotten histories. So please join me as I tell sparkly tales, meeting all sorts of people, delving into four centuries of jewellery culture, and investigate what's happening now. This week, we have a special episode for you. I've just been in Puglia with Dolce & Gabbana, seeing the Alta Moda, Alta Saltorio, and most importantly, the Alta Gioalleria show. And not least, because the designers, Domenico Dolce and Stefano Gabbana, were unveiling a new book, curated and written by myself, called Dolce & Gabbana, Alta Gioalleria, Masterpieces of High Jewelry. So I took the opportunity while I was there to talk to high jewelry clients, to get behind their secret life. What is it like, the life of a high jewellery client, to live in that bubble, to see these glorious creations. How much does it actually cost? What do they spend? What do those three letters, P-O-A, price on application, actually mean? I mean, for instance, this summer, if you were a high jewellery client, you were invited to Lake Como with Dior, to Greece with Louis Vuitton, to Rome with Van Cleef and Arpels, and to Puglia with Dolce & Gabbana. I mean, that is your summer pretty well taken care of. Anyway, we get behind the scenes and ask the questions, so please keep listening and hear about the secret life of a high jewellery client. I'm here with Cameron Silver, founder of Decades, sartorial advisor to half of Hollywood royalty, author. Cameron, thank you very much for joining me. I'm delighted to be here. It's not so bad hanging out in Puglia. <laughs> and Ricky Mora, who is a real estate developer from Austin in yes. Texas and is a high jewelry buyer and a crazy fashion follower. I mean, how do I describe you? Fashion god. Fashion yeah. god. <laughs> he is a We're fashion. Praying to you. Yes, everybody's praying for you. We're praying for you and to you. <laughs> exactly. Ricky, thank you for joining me. Of course. Now, question. Ricky, I have to say, um, I wrote about in American Vogue after the Alta Moda last year, and I described him as Mr. Texas. But on the podcast, we're outing him. It's Ricky. Here he is, talking live about being a high jewelry buyer. Wonderful. I'm so glad to be here and be a real Ricky now, not yes. just Mr. Texas. Not Mr. <laughs> Texas. And so, you know, being a high jewelry buyer, your summer can be taken care of. Because if you're one of this sort of tiny percent in the world who's on the big brands list as a high jewellery buyer, you can go to Florence with Dior, you can go to Greece with Louis Vuitton, 
You can go to Rome with Van Cleef and Arpels, which has all happened recently. And here we are in Puglia with Dolce. I mean, it kind of is tiring being a high jewelry buyer, Ricky. It is uh, quite exhausting, yes, <laughs> yes, for many different reasons. But yes, it is very tiring. You have to make decisions and uh, for things that you just want, right? That is just uh, a desire to have and that becomes sometimes exhausting. <laughs> And what to wear every day. Exactly. You that, need the wardrobe. To match the jewelry. And that becomes, a, a, I would not say an issue, but it's a part of things that I, quite frankly, never thought would happen. And that my jewelry have really to match with my outfit. Because fashion and jewelry goes hand in hand. And I'm going to be posting pictures, but just so you know, um, Ricky is in a leopard print silk shirt this morning. Little shorts to match and the most sensational Dolce black diamond and gold cross. Cross, yes. Cameron, meanwhile, has just got out of bed and he's in <laughs> Dolce & Gabbana gym jams. <laughs> Silk, red piping, super chic. When you're in the Dolce & Gabbana world, you eat, literally sleep, and dress in this Dolce DNA. But I'm kind of interested because you both have done this a lot. You've both gone around with all the brands to these amazing events where they try and tempt people to buy jewellery. And it's like they have to add on and add on to tempt people, to take them to magnificent locations, to put on spectacular events. I mean, for instance, the first night we just had a welcome cocktail here. We're, we're actually recording, I should have said, in the Borgo Ignacia, which is where Haley and Justin Bieber got married. So we're having a little cocktail. We're thinking, gosh, that was lovely. We've had dinner, time to go home. No, Diana Ross comes and does a performance. So do you find, Ricky, that each year there has to be something more spectacular? Exactly. They have to entice the clientele to buy something, as I described earlier, that you don't need, but you want, that you just uh, have a fascination for. Therefore, they need to present something that is great to justify also what they ask for, right? Because high jewelry is a different market. What have you noticed, Cameron? Have you noticed this, you know, ultimate seduction? Because it's a very small percent of people. How many people in the world do you think are buying high jewelry. I, I think it's grown a little bit as the world opens up more and more and, and new territories and opportunities, certainly in, in China and in India, the Middle East is a huge opportunity. But I think with the automotive, which is very distinctive, is that you're buying into a cultural experience. Mm. And I always tell, you know, I, I've been to the automotive since the first one in Taramina. I mean, I'm like... So this is 10 years? Yeah, this is the 11th year. I mean, really? I go way back. That's wonderful. And I always remind, you know, somebody who's considering buying something, you, you can't buy it and intellectually quantify the value because of the cost of goods. You have to think about the visceral experience. And I think nobody does it better than Dolce & Gabbana to give you that experience. Like, Ricky's not just buying a piece of jewelry. He's buying the memory of the five nights we've been here and the friends that have been made so that the piece has this emotional value. Yes, yes mm -hmm. emotional and energetic value, which is very distinctive from a lot of the other brands that are doing major activations. But nobody does it like Dolce & Gabbana. I agree 100%. I just came from Como on Dior mm -hmm. High Jewelry. Mm -hmm. So Nick Como by George Clooney's house. Right. <laughs> yes, by the way, Johnny Versace will mention uh, 
but it, which they took us to take pictures in front of the house and things like that. But Dolce Gabbana, if, if which I, I have to compare them, right? Because you go to it really is a different ball game. They are different levels, uh, even though they are all very high and very exclusive and very amazing. But they are in different levels because, in my opinion. The other brands, in my opinion, cannot fulfill the clients they, the way they fulfill me here. Because it is a family feeling. As you described, you make friends. You're connected for five days with people. You want to celebrate the creators. And what's so beautiful about Domenico and Stefano is that they have a very tangible relationship with the clients, which is unlike any other brand. I mean, I've worked with, I continue to work with so many different brands and I've worked in with many high jewelry brands and different luxury brands, but this is the only brand where the creative directors actually know their clients' names mm -hmm. and the names of their dogs and how the children are, who's graduated school. It's, it's very, very special. So I think something else that's very distinctive about Dolce & Gabbana is uh, the experience of time with that these creative forces, I mean, Domenico and Stefano are, are really like the, the, the gods of modern day Italy as far as their contribution to promoting um, Italian style and culture and history. And it's very special to have that engagement with them. In my opinion, in the world of fashion and jewelry, the biggest uh, fault that they all have is that designers are designed to be gods, mm -hmm. untouchable that you don't see them and they come and they are socially awkward and, and all those things. Well, they should know their clients. They, they should be talking to them in here at Dolce Gabbana. They are having dinner with you. They're walking all the time. I go to the pop-up store, they are there. I don't know, on the line of the bathroom with you and they don't want to go in front of you. They wait behind. Oh, because the, the, the first night here, I'm walking with Domenico and Stefano and I'm saying, go ahead down the stairs before they me. They're like, no, no, Cameron, you first. You know, I'm just a poor guest here who's just Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, it, it's... but you bought some pajamas. I bought some pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is like really special. And I explain that to, I sometimes call myself like the Altamoda whisperer because a lot of people come to me and say, I want to come to Altamoda. Now, you know, explain what the process is. But I said, the most special part of this is the engagement with the creators. It's, I, I love it. Fantastic. Now, was Victoire de Castellan at the Dior event? She was. She was. She and was. did you meet her? I did not. Were you introduced? No. Uh, no I was did not. she make a talk or do anything? No, yeah. it was. Uh, she's quite shy, Victoire. She's very. Uh, yeah, seems like it. I don't. Yes. I don't know her. Now, does that make a difference to you buying the jewelry? Do you want to know the designer? Well, I, I think it's a, a very interesting part of in my. I remember when we were in Miami last year. It sounds like Ricky and I travel a lot together. Are you guys lovers? Uh, oh my God, don't out us here, Cameron. So we were in Miami and um, you very sweetly introduced me to a good girlfriend of yours. Yes. Who had a enormous high jewellery um, necklace from Louis Vuitton. And it was, uh, there was one massive gem. I don't know how many carats. Um, sort of rainbow, lines of rainbow studded uh, semi-precious stones and diamonds. Uh -huh. yes. It was very important to her that she had the imagery of her being presented by Francesca. But because it's not a transaction. 
and I talk about luxury all the time. I don't know if you agree with me or not. But when you buy luxury, high jewelry, high fashion, couture, it's not a transaction. It's a, a relationship. So you want to have a relationship with the designer. I mean, you're not going to be, it may or may not connect with them on an intimate level, but it's nice to be also appreciated for what you, you're contributing to their uh, creation. And when you don't meet them, uh, when you don't talk, you just have a transaction, run my credit card and go right along, that's not fun. No, I think that's a, a wonderful observation. And it's something that every brand, and I, I tell this to every brand, like, watch how Dolce & Gabbana engage with their clients and create this luxury summer camp. Mm -hmm. No one else does this like this. And even the watching the Altamoda collection, Yesterday, they clearly are designing pieces with a keen awareness of who might buy them. I mean, there were pieces that were going down the room. I'm like, okay, that is such a so-and-so piece. I think most, I don't even think all the brands do that. I think no. Cartier, Van Cleef, I think they pretty much, no, they make, what, 80 to 100 new pieces. And I think by the end of one of these trips, they pretty much know who's going to buy which piece. And they usually tell me they're celebrity. I mean, I, I used to work with Bouchon as their ambassador. And I mean, it was, you know, it's, it's such a special house and, and has so much history and, and, and mystery. You know, the, you it's, know, it's, yeah, the Countess de Castiglione, all of this sort of um, fantasy that you, not fantasy, it's factual, but it also makes it more fantastic. Right. And I remember we once did a very small dinner during Couture where I told all the guests, do not wear jewelry. And they brought out all the jewelry to the dinner table and all the women got to play dress up. And it was oh, so, and the men. That's fantastic. It was such a great idea. <laughs> But people initially were so freaked out not to be wearing their jewelry to dinner. But again, like it created a, a, a real authentic, it was not transactional. There was no expectation that you had to buy anything. Of course, every brand wants to sell in business. But it was fun. It was like playing dress up. And I think, you know, that's part of what's really magical about the Altamonte is that, you know, you play dress up. I mean, you certainly understand I, playing I, dress I do, up. I do. And, and, I, and I love that because it is this permission to play for for five or six days, I don't care if it's a straight guy or a gay guy, I don't care if you're from the Gulf of, you know, the Middle East or from like the deep South of America, everybody just has this opportunity and is embraced for expressing themselves and, and eccentricity is celebrated. I, I will tell you something that I observed here that I thought was very interesting. I know a fair amount of people and just because of my fashion, a lot of people come and talk and they want to, you know, explore. And very often, which I think this is huge, how a brand, two people truly, Dominic and Stefano, they have the ability of making the guest feel completely free. So you see, I, I hear, not I don't even see, I hear people say, oh, I'm wearing this pink suit, but I want a straight man with his wife. I wouldn't wear this pink suit anywhere else. I just do it over here. Someone else bought a, a, you know, a very expensive embroidery suit. Oh, I cannot wear this at home, but I wear here. Those are like, it, it breaks the bounds. Yes. And all of a sudden, they're not thinking about straight, gay, white, like this and that. It is 
It is celebration of beauty and fashion and jewellery all together. Another point I think to that is <clears throat> that so many of the men here wear high jewellery. And I think that's quite unusual because I think traditionally and still I think is the case in high jewellery in most brands, men are doing the buying. Of course there are exceptions and women are doing the wearing. But here I think it's the last barrier to break down this sort of fluid idea that actually men and women wear the high jewellery. And historically have. I mean look at the Maharaja mm -hmm. culture. So I mean Domenico and Stefano are really bringing back that celebration of of men embracing you know, peacockism mm -hmm. for, for lack. I don't know if that's a real term or not. Term it will it be for you. Yeah. <laughs> Ask your husband, Ricky, because last night I said, my God, he's a peacock, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but, it, but I love what you said about, you know, the, the men wearing you know, the, the pink suit. Like my, my friend, the first night was wearing the blue and white Catherine. He, he is a heterosexual guy because he had seen me wearing it last year and he ended up buying it, and I thought this is so awesome that this like total straight dude is wearing this blue and white Mallorca caftan. It was it's wonderful. It, it, because at the end of the day, as we always know, uh, as we all suspect, they all love the fashion, they all love the jewelry, they, you know, the straight man, the, yes. that they have to play this like, I'm this business guy that wears suits and I'm strong and all that, but when they're here, that disappears almost, and they are, they do whatever they want. It, it, it's so true, but plus the multicultural aspect, yeah. there's people coming from so many parts of the world. It, it's a, This is like the United Nations of fashion. If they could get the 350 or 400 guests here uh, to all run for politics in, in their local regions, we would have no war. I mean, <laughs> everybody would look fabulous. And, and yes. But we, I mean, it, it's like there is that beauty of unity that happens. Obviously, we're in this sort of like, you know, magical utopia. If people are listening, thinking, my God, I mean, how can everybody celebrate this? What relevance does it have to us? A lot of people were saying that we shouldn't have all been at Couture and Paris mm -hmm. while the riots were happening. But I think the argument to that is this is employing so many people, people who've worked over many years to produce these things. I think there's that, there's the employment factor that it keeps families fed and also the factor that it preserves traditional skills of craftsmanship and that's something that you know we've been talking about here and I think it's the same in every single fine jewellery house that these skills are dying, they're fading arts and we want to continue them, we want to celebrate them. People need to develop that to fund it they need to sell these pieces. I, I, I have a funny story. I took several American clients to the show Capri, which still remains my favorite show. It was j just breathtaking. But we're at dinner after the show, and they, they opened up the room so you can look at things. And my friend who's with me says, I really want to go up and look at everything. I want to look at the jewelry. So she assumed that the jewelry we had just seen on the runway was costume jewelry. Oh. So I said, I go, if you go up this, those stairs, I go, it's going to cost you a lot of money. At <laughs> your own risk. <laughs> and of course, like, she texts me like five minutes into like, oh my God, it's real. Because you, you can't believe how amazing these pieces are because these are skills that we rarely see most high jewelers using. I mean, that, the micro mosaic thing. Micro mosaic, cameo carving. It's so beautiful. Girls agree that dates back to the Etruscans. And, you know, they're reviving these skills. They're 
I mean, last night we we were talking about the olive trees and how 21 million have died and they're trying to, Dame Helen Mirren's here supporting with Dolce to fund and support and regrow olive trees for this area so they can survive. It's their livelihood, yep. it's their olive oil. Right. And, and it is pretty incredible that buying these extraordinary pieces, which are one of a kind, so you are buying a piece of wearable art. Well, this is what I want to ask you about, actually, because when we talk about high jewellery, some people might think, now, what's the difference between high jewellery and fine jewellery? So, do you have a way that you, you describe the difference, Ricky? High jewellery, fine jewellery. So, high jewellery, for the most part, it's something one of a kind. You will be the, the only one to have that piece. May or not, may not be made for you, but it's something that you can find uh, from the show, and it's you only you will have that piece. Now, fine jewelry, I guess was the other technology used, then is something that is um, also use pressure stones and something nice and they have a very, uh, but they are mass produced. Mm -hmm. So, and they may not be mass produced as in thousands, it could be five, it could be 10, yeah. but it's still more than one. So it's not to do with price. Well, but the high jewelry, because there is something to do with price because the, the stones may be bigger in, in, but not necessarily. It's just that the high jewelry, can allow to have a 100 carat diamond on where the fine jewelry really it will be in store in milan or in paris that unlikely that a client will like yeah i want that 100 carat necklace yes. yeah and what, what's your description of the camera i think ricky is very accurate mm -hmm. it is it is the the piece of one of a kind wearable art that will never be replicated and there is a premium to pay because it's very different when you're creating a piece that's going to be produced, whether it's very limited as a fine jewelry piece or, or more accessible. But, you know, the, the work of the sketching, building the molds, sourcing the, the stones, it's, it's very laborious. And you pay a major premium to have that piece. But then you get five meals and Diana Ross, so it's all good. <laughs> so you get off at that night. You, you get some carbs, you get some pasta and Diana. Yes. And it's the sort of labor skills, the different skills mm -hmm. in the workshop, the time it takes. Um, and I guess, as you say, the, the fine jewelry, they can replicate across many pieces. So the development cost of that can be shared. Whereas exactly. in the one-off, it's all in the one-off. Right. So I suppose you could say that high jewelry doesn't necessarily have to have a stone in it, a big stone. It can no. just be that workmanship in gold. It, I mean, one of my favorite pieces that sold at the high jewelry event the other night was you know, really thick gold links with small stones. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't about the rock. Right. That it was more about the design was just amazing. Um, and and <laughs> I teased the person who bought it, but that's super wearable. You can do that. You can wear that to Whole Foods. Um, <laughs> sure, we would have Totally. And, 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 that, I, you know, and that's like the magic uh, of this experience, that you are getting something one of a kind, and, and then it becomes an, an heirloom. Ricky, I know that obviously, because you're in that category, you must get chased by all the other fine jewelry brands. And you were telling me the other day about some ways that other brands are trying to entice people to, to come in by making special clubs for high jewelry buyers and things like that. Mm -hmm. And in what kind of ways do they reach out to you? The latest is a, essentially you become, you, which I, I think is kind of insane, you probably heard about this, you buy this virtual something and then after you buy the virtual thing, you can 
buy other jewelry. I was like, oh, you buy to buy? I mean, you don't give me to buy. So because once you buy this, then essentially you get into the club, which you should be part of the club already, but now they're creating a, a 200 people out of this 500 people. So they're kind of trying to narrow down. But then the offers, and, and that's what it was my fears, then the offers becomes outlandish, right? Oh, now you're part of this 200. So, oh, we have this new necklace for $200 million. Well, okay, you know, wonderful. So, and then they want the 200 to sort of bid against each other to buy it? Essentially, yes. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the idea. I did hear a story here from a big stylist who deals with books after a lot of people in Asia that one of his clients bought a small diamond and gold Kelly bag for $1.9 million mm -hmm. as a one-off. Yes. And then she went to a party and she saw another one, but it was in white gold. So they obviously the justification was there's one in yellow, one in white. But $1.9 million, you kind of do expect it to be the only one in the world. Yeah. So my feeling for jewelry and couture also, I've been told multiple times that I'm buying one of one, which is very important to me because the, the, the world that we are privileged to be part of, it's where if someone in Asia or someone in whatever part of the world, they will come to the same event. So even though it can be only a small group of people, but they go to the same event, right? And so many times I, I was like, oh, you're buying this jacket or this piece and it's only here, the only one in the world. And then you go to United States and I walk, that happened with me, I walk in the store in Las Vegas and they're like, Ricky, we got something special for you. And they show me the same jacket. Yeah. And uh, so I texted and was like, the person, I said, well, what happened with the one of a kind? So if you don't know, they say it's one and friends. Just don't, so, they so do that. Regional distribution. Yes. yes, and they do that. And also, uh, on jewelry, I may be, well, I don't know if I'm 100% correct this, but I'm pretty sure. They do buy rich, not Dolce Gabbana. And that is, uh, again, the beauty of Dolce Gabbana Alta Joelleria and Alta Sartoria Alta Mola is that it's one worldwide. Mm -hmm. It's not one for America, one for Europe, one for Asia, one for, no, it's one for the world. So you don't have, it's truly unique. Where the other brands, even in jewelry, is by continent. The couture is by continent. Mm -hmm. So people have the same thing. And why would you spend 1.9 million or 1 million or a dress for 300 or whatever it is, and then you find someone with the same thing, then I buy ready to wear and I spend 1,000. Because well, the world is very small. Very. I mean, it, so that the, the, the people who are the high jewelry buyers or the couture buyers, socially, it's a similar circuit. In America, like everyone in Palm Beach, then they end up going to the Hamptons. So it's like you're, you're dealing with similar groups that are going region to region. So if, if you're being sold on one of a kind, you really want one of a kind. And I think it's very important for brands to have transparency. I, and I was explaining to a client who I was shopping for in Paris, who was buying a Scaparelli couture bag. And I said, like, this bag is going to be made for you, but it's not going to be exclusive for you. Mm -hmm. There may be, maybe they'll make three or four of these. So the important thing is, you know, you, you have to explain this to respect the client. It's not about, you know, I, I always say it's not about just making the sale, it's about making the relationship. It's client focus, it's not transactional focus. And in, in a lot of those things that are very, very high end, 
Granted, yes, there is. Yesterday I was in the car with someone and said, oh, you know, here there is the most influential and powerful people in the world. And it is true. But even them, they have to think about it. You don't buy a million dollars or two million dollars like you go in a grocery store and pick up a cup of milk. It's not like that. Well, wealthy clients will know roughly they can compare. Of course. They can compare. They probably know stone values by now and they know what goes into a piece. And so they're going to be very aware. They don't want to be ripped off in any way. No, they? no, absolutely not. Also, everybody has a budget. I don't care how rich or, you know, how legendary your, your family's name is. Everybody has a budget. I always say, people ask me, you know, what do you do when you're helping people buy couture? I say, I, I help very wealthy people buy less, more, better. And, and I think that's like an important thing because it's very seductive very. in these things. And you kind of get vulnerable. I mean, I, I don't because I'm not, I'm not buying. I mean, I'm vicariously living through people <laughs> buying, but it's very easy to get seduced into this. And you also have to be very careful the client doesn't burn out. I mean, haven't, haven't gone to these shows since like the early 2000s, you know, couture or, or high jewelry. It's, you can burn out. The client can get burned out if they get oversold or they've overspent, regardless of what their budget is. So I think one needs to be very mindful to, again, not make it too transactional. Make right. it visceral. Because there is a big difference. And I talk to the houses when I talk to people that can't. There is a difference about budget and how much you feel comfortable spending. Mm -hmm. You may be able to buy anything in the world, but are you comfortable in spending that much money for that piece? And that's a different subject. And sometimes sales consultants don't understand that. They right. think, oh, you're rich, you should buy it. Yes. But it's not like that. For a lot of brands, there certainly is an expectation of the client. And if the client feels pressured, that's certainly a major turnoff. And I always tell these brands that it may not always convert every year for that client. And I think it's okay. One year you, you don't buy something, but it's not like you're, you shouldn't be canceled. Right. It, 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 it's like these are long-term relationships. Right. And I have a store in Los Angeles, and I always tell my staff, it's not about the one sale. Like, if you have a big sale, that's great. It's about the, the 25 years mm -hmm. of, of building the relationship with the client. And I think that's how brands need to be very sensitive. Do you think, Cameron, that there's even a tiny little bubble above the 1% that don't want to come to these events and want everything flown to them? Oh, I, I have several friends who are just, they're done with the events. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I understand, like, they've done it for 10 years and they just, like, they want a break. You know, life changes. Life but not style. just here, not just the dog. No, just in general. They're just, you know, I, I have... A couple of friends who said, like, I don't need to go to Paris. If there's anything I really like, the brand will bring it to me, or I can, I, I can look at it online. I mean, Dolce is very different because you do want to be here and, and experience it. But, yes. but sometimes, you know, I, like, I took one year off, and I've been at every single one since the first. Because there's, like, there's other life to live. But, but in general, I know that the second week of July is usually Camp D, D and G. Yes. Is there a sort of cut-off point of what somebody would have to spend to get the brand to fly everything over to them, the jewellery, the clothes? I don't know if there's a real number. It's about, again, it's, if you're looking at the long haul, it's in the brand's interest to accommodate the client. And, and I think it depends from brand to brand and the contact that you have at the brand. For example, I don't buy anything from online. I do not shop online. If I'm going to buy something, I want to see, I want to touch it, 
I want to try it on. If you send me a picture, okay, wonderful, I like it. Either you send it to me or I go and I'll take a look. Otherwise, I won't buy it. it, it it's so funny. I, I'm very much this, the same way. And there is something in the pop-up here that I had seen online. I was fascinated by the fabric. I was researching the fabric. And then after we, we um, finish recording this, I'm going to actually try it on in person for real because that's how I like to consume. Because I, I don't want to call it consumption, but that's that's the feeling I want to have. I mean, I, this is also with this world, with the Altamoda and, and the high jewelry. It's How do you buy a beautiful piece of jewelry like that without trying it on? It's beyond consumption. It's, it's, it's about a feeling. Fashion is about feelings. I mean, having had this business for nearly 27 years about vintage fashion, I always bring up this story which I think is relevant to high jewelry, but I remember being at a woman's closet in Santa Monica who had recently been widowed, and she took out a dress to show me that was Chantilly Lace, a shift dress, and she, she said, this is the dress I met my husband in. And that's what it's about when you, when you buy something special. You're always going to have the memory of who you were with. You're going to feel what the weather was like. How, how, was, how, how was the pasta al dente cooked that? Yes, like all yes, of those yes, things, those yes. emotions. And, and I think mm-hmm. nobody captures that experience better than Dolce & Gabbana. So it doesn't feel like you're consuming. It feels like you're living and tasting and touching. And then you get a really good souvenir sometimes. Yes. <laughs> That's very true. Does it make a difference to you, Ricky? Um, do you ask when you're buying high jewelry? Do you want to know where it's been made and where the workshops are? Does that make a difference to you? Does not. It doesn't. It That's doesn't. It doesn't. It so doesn't. even though you're spending, you don't want to need to know it was made in Paris. It was, you know, in the centre of luxury. Uh, that. I uh, guess the, what is behind the, the work. It's interesting to me. But would that move me one way or the other? And one is you buying Alta Jolidia. Mm-hmm. I know it's made in Italy, mm-hmm. so... Yes. Do you need to know where the stones from if you're buying a stone? The stones are interested to know where the stones are. Yeah, yeah, from. yeah. And do, uh, the sustainability and what happens. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. That comes part of it, yeah. Cameron, what's the most amazing event you've heard of that a brand's thrown that you thought, my God, that's impressed me? I've been very fortunate to go to a lot of events. I mean, I was at Bulgari's 125th anniversary, which coincided <laughs> with my 40th birthday. Was that in Venice? This was in Rome. In Rome. And, and I remember, and that, I mean, personally, it was very special because Mr. Bulgari realized it was my birthday and they did like a birthday event for me, um, which was very sweet. And, his yes. pri- and like, for me, that was very special because it was his private car, um, mm. not museum, but it was like his parking lot of cars. <laughs> but we were all, all, all together for dinner. But I, I'd say the most special memory I have from all of the Altamotas was one winter in Milan where Domenico took my hand and said, let's go look um, at the Last Supper. And just like looking at the Last Supper with this amazing creative soul who has such reverence for the, the Italian arts. I mean, that was so special. That's what Dolce & Gabbana is about. That you're with these incredible men who have such a reverence for their country and love of the art and the craft. And I think that's what Dolce & Gabbana does that no other brand can do it particularly because the creators are engaged. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, you'll never work with a house that has that kind of warmth. 
because it is really family. I didn't get it the first time when I went to Target. You know, like I didn't get what they were doing. I was so used to the, the Paris way of, uh, of shows. Like I totally didn't get it, but I totally drink the Kool-Aid now. And, and I shouldn't say Kool-Aid. I'm drinking the, um, the, the, the Prosecco. <laughs> I think somebody asked me funny enough the other day, they said, oh, you must have been to so many events over so many years, which I have, and I've had some marvelous experiences with most of the brands. But if I had to sort of remember one above all others, it was so simple, but that made it so special. And it was having dinner. I'd gone in the day with Paloma Picasso on a boat around the Venetian canals, looking at some of the things where she had memories mm -hmm. and that had inspired her collection. And then we had dinner with her husband and someone from Tiffany on the roof of the Guggenheim mm. at night. You know, the Guggenheim Museum, that flat roof, which is one of the most special places, the unfinished palazzo. And we could just hear the water and the old boat going past. And I thought, oh my God, I'm so lucky to do this job because that was a really unique experience. And as you say, involving the creator. Yes, I mean, because it doesn't always have to have bells and whistles. Mm. It's those simple moments. I mean, listen, the dinner we had in Paris last Monday with that Ellie Talk posted. Oh, yes. I mean, that was so special, you know, being in the presence of Marisa Berenson and, and developing a friendship o over dinner. It's those... And so chic, so oh, Parisian. It was, it was incredible. And, you know, the greatest gift I get from my Dolce & Gabbana family is that, like, these friends that I have all over the world. There are so many bar mitzvahs and weddings and yeah. anniversaries. So it, 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 it lives the magic of what we're experiencing right now in Puglia. We get to continue through our friendships outside of the actual Dolce and Gabbana activation. You come ready for the reunion, the family Yes. Ricky, what's the most spectacular moment for you that you've had with any brand that you've Remember. It's a very difficult question. I would say that Alta Moda in Sicily last year, in front of that. Oh, the Duomo. The Duomo. Oh, with it was I like I caught myself like I would say in cheers, but getting emotional because I thought like, am I really seeing this? Is this really happening? That I'm one of the people in the world that's sitting here in front of this. In front of history, in history being made at the same time, right? It was beautiful. It was more beautiful than any production, I think, that, say, the Royal Opera House or any, and it could have put on. I, 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 could, I, I couldn't ever describe to whoever listens to this what that experience was. Because, you know, the time of the day and the way the sun was hitting, I mean, every single thing, it was carved to be that way, somehow. Okay. And, and, and yet it was based... On nature and, and history, right. and it's, like, it's incredible. Know, if, you, if you really think it's not overly, I mean, the scene itself, the Duomo and, and all that was spectacular, but it was not anything more than a runway and tables and chairs. Yes. And then fabulous people. All of these shows have, have an element of emotion to them that I don't necessarily experience at other shows. I mean, even last night, it was so beautiful and it was more of a minimal fashion show last night the, the clothes were very were, were less mm -hmm. kind of over the top but the simplicity and the setting and and you know this historical magical village it's it's always i, I feel like i leave a, a dolce gabbana alta experience smarter because i learn about an area and I, you know i, I, I and it's a, it, i just love the fact that i 
I didn't, I've been to this region, but I didn't know it. Like, I'm, we're going to know it after so this. So, I was going to make a comment earlier and lost my train of thought and you just got it again. So, I'm an Italian citizen. Yes. So, my family truly is originally from Venice. Mm -hmm. And Dolce Gabbana made me be a better Italian. Mm, that's so beautiful. Because they bring me to things that, sure, we travel, as you said, we go to regions, but sometimes you just pass by, you don't really know. They immerse you there. And that is a gift itself. Do you think that's more valuable than <clears throat> other brands who run around the world finding different places? Do you think it's better just to be committed? Oh my God. To no, one place? No, hands down. I mean, I think Dolce <coughs> Gabbana should be, you know, given every celebratory award for what they do for this country. I mean, I want to become ambassador to Italy in like 10 years. I, think. <laughs> I know so much more about Italy now because of, of all of my, you know, 11 Dolce & Gabbana Altamodas. But it's really like, I've always loved Italy. I studied Italian when I was in, in college, but you come here, like, I'm not an Italian citizen, but sign me up. Like, right. Yeah. I love it. it, it because they, they make you be a better person. Oh, yeah. I mean, my case, because I'm an Italian citizen, make it be a better Italian, and that's incredible. And I think that you make it, I love what you said about becoming a better person, because we're interacting with so many different cultures and people, and yes, they're, they're very privileged people. Right, right. But, I mean, I love it. I, my friend from Chile, my, my friend from Bahrain, it's just all of these different Friends were, were making. I, I could spend my entire life just flying to visit another friend that I've made through this. And everyone's really nice. And I think it begins at the top because Domenico and Stefano are nice boys from Sicily who are just creative. Well, Stefano is from Milan. Yes, Milan. But, but, but there is this, this sort of Sicilian, you yes. know, it's like, it's the authentic Italy, which mm -hmm. I love so much. The trickle-down effect. Yes. Right? So it brings from the top and it comes to uh, the people that work with them. The family, What can we talk about their family for a second? What a wonderful people they are. I, I mean, I talk to them every day, the nephews, nieces, I mean, they are just the most adorable people. And, and all the people who, who <coughs> oversee the, the this amazing Alta experience. Mm -hmm. like, they're just more and more family. There's nothing, like, I'm always like, what, what can I do to help make things it's, and then, easier, better for you. And then when it comes then to the clients, when there is a person that, which ever so often, very rare, which I think a lot of people would don't understand that, it's very rare to meet someone that is like, oh, that person. Uh, because it's a literally equal level, right? So there is not a more famous, more rich, more this, more that. It's a pretty plan. And I love that idea. Nobody freaks out, okay, I'm not on the first row, I'm the third row. No. I mean, I was at a show in Paris, and there was a woman seated two seats for me who was so freaking out about her seat. And she was still, she was front row. I mean, <sighs> but she didn't like the position of it. Like, this doesn't happen here. Everyone just goes with the flow, and, and they're, it's just a privilege to be yeah. I think a, a price is <sighs> something that always intrigues people, because I know, I mean, done so many shoots for so many years for magazines that when you have to put POA price on the application, you know, you get quite frustrated. You say, but come on, come on, ballpark, what, what is it in the ballpark figure? So I thought here, I know that the fine jewellery is, you know, you can buy pieces for around 60 to 70,000 pounds. And the most expensive piece here is a 10 carat pink diamond, which is 15 million. 
Did he butt up? Yeah. Ricky. <laughs> oh, no. Ricky, any pressure? Any pressure? Yes, buddy. Here I am, Ricky. So, uh, did you see anything that you're kind of tempted by? Another cross? Uh, yes, um, I have my eyes in two uh, different pieces. Uh, new one. Can you share what those are? So, a new cross. Um, mm -hmm. I think there is a cross with an emerald and some peridots that I'm, it's just divine. And which, as a matter of fact, the crosses are, they use it, obviously, they are not really uh, uh, for men, for women, because it's a cross. But the idea is, that a man can buy a cross, right? Because, you know, for you to buy a necklace with roses and strawberries, it's a, a bit unlikely, but, for, you know, for a lady, it will be very beautiful. But they make those crosses knowing that there is a market that the man also wants to buy and they want to have beautiful things. I'm Jewish. I'd buy a cross. <laughs> They're so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and they, they, they are beautiful. So there's a cross yes. uh, that I'm very interested in. And then there is the famous uh, Cecilia necklace. Oh, yeah. What, with written? written oh, oh, my God. Yes. Describe so. that. Describe that, Ricky. Oh, my. Um, yeah, I'm going to need your help, both of your help. What is the name of that um, metal? Maybe sometimes it's gold that goes in churches that kind of has rays, almost look like a sun, with the sacred yes. heart in the mm -hmm. center. And it is very, very large. And it has the word Cecilia. Mm -hmm. around when diamonds and i saw that piece i, I like very large pieces oh i know <laughs> very very large not a wallflower here no no no, no, no. <laughs> and that, so that was a very it's a very large piece and with uh, rubelites and garnets and diamonds but there was a magic to it so i saw him alone for the first time and uh, then they brought you uh, they invited me for uh dinner at their apartment in New York, so I went there and the piece was at, you know, we were in talks and yesterday someone says, oh, remember that necklace that you want that they're talking? Look who's wearing Kim Kardashian was wearing last <laughs> oh. night. Oh, she. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so she got into the fashion show with wearing a, a diamond necklace, a very big yes. diamond necklace. And I think after that, I don't know if she changed her outfit. I really did not see her. Uh, she was wearing the beauty. Bordeaux, she looked beautiful. Right. Did she change outfits for the I dinner? See, I don't. I, I don't. I didn't know. see what she wore at dinner. So. But the, I saw the necklace. But the necklace pin. Because they said that now she's wearing your necklace. I mean, they are yes. not mine, but but the, you know the one that I'm interested. So I was like, did you buy it? Ah, well, I don't know. I said, well, you need to let me know if you buy it. <laughs> okay, so that's fantastic. So next time I see you. I'll know. I'll be able to report back to the listeners whether or not you're the proud owner of Cecilia. And I think as an Italian, you are obliged. Yes. yes. And, and then when Kim sees you wearing it, it'll be, oh, that makes Ricky's necklace. <laughs> yeah, that's the Little one. competition yeah. is quite healthy. Yes, yes. You against Kim Kardashian. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing, Ricky. And it's just lovely to hear about the life of a high jewelry buyer directly and thank you and Cameron thank you so much for giving me your expertise over many years my pleasure I, I, I love hearing you speak and write about this world so everyone has to get a copy of your book oh thank because you because you have the definitive book now on the Dolce & Gabbana I jewelry. do and the definitive book coming out about the podcast wow oh, are we getting a, are we getting the cover if Jules could talk I want to be on the cover you sure. should be on the yes. cover right Cameron sure.
Okay. Let's take a covert decided. Chat. Don't say words anymore. We need to take a really good selfie for the concert. <laughs> Thank you guys and see you see you again later. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening for this and other episodes of If Jewels Could Talk. Please go to our website, carolwilton.com. Share it any way you can. Do leave us a comment and a rating. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast feed. There's a link on our website because we're up for an award at the British Podcast Awards. So we'd love your support. And if you would like to vote for us, there's a link there. And please join me again in two weeks for the next Jeweled Nugget. We're going to be talking with the legendary British architect, John Pawson, about the synergy between architecture and jewels. So please join us then. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. If Jewels Could Talk with Carol Wilton is produced by Natasha Cowan. Music and editing by Tim Thornton. Graphics by Scott Bentley. Illustration by Geordie Lavanda. And you can find me on Instagram at Carol Wilton.